You're listening to Once, episode 212, The Broken Kingdom. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And filling in for Aaron this week, we have... I'm Jacqueline. Thank you for joining us, Jacqueline. It's great to have you. You're usually over in the forums, like all the time, but it's (laughs) All the time. Yeah, it's great to have you here, and we get to hear your voice, or some of our listeners get to hear you when they listen to the spoilers, which I don't, but I hear that they're great. We try. (laughs) So let's try to fix this broken kingdom starting out in the beginning. Now, I know that in the initial reactions in the chat room and such, there were some confusions over the timeline and how this might fit together. And so Keb, our keeper of the timeline, (laughs) sent in some great feedback to help explain how this whole thing works, because there's this thing five years ago that might seem a little bit odd because of the curse and such. So here's what Keb said. I know many people found the, quote, five years ago, unquote, confusing in this episode, but actually it fits pretty well into the timeline I've got. That's over at oncepodcast.com slash timeline. If you make the following assumptions, number one, Camelot was frozen, but not swept away by the curse, like Arendelle, during the 28 years of the curse. Number two, time started moving again in Camelot when Emma decided to stay in Storybrooke, as it apparently did in other affected realms. Number three, they're counting about three years before the curse, plus the one and a half approximately years uh, since the curse as five years. From a Camelot perspective, it would feel like a seamless four and a half years, which rounds to five years. I already have the date for Rumpel's return with the gauntlet as February 1st, 1981. That's (laughs) comparing it to our time. And while I might move it earlier by a few weeks, I don't see much need to. This actually confirms that I had my dates pretty close to theirs. Yes, I'm pleased, said Keb, manager of the timeline over at oncepodcast.com slash timeline. Yeah, Keb has it narrowed down to a science. She can tell you the specific day and hour based on, I don't know, the way a flower is facing the sun. It's <laughs> She's great. <laughs> I feel better, I think. <laughs> I think it would just be best if they stopped trying to put dates on the screen because invariably people get really confused. And the fact that Adam Horowitz actually had to tweet it out an explanation complete with a picture. (laughs) I kind of feel like we shouldn't have to need that in a show. So they should just stop with the whole five years ago. Well, and I guess for me, have they not said at other times... 28 years ago or something a little specific to mean, yes, well before the curse and give real years because frozen years are still years. They still happened. So saying five years ago, but we kind of put everything on pause for about 28 years is a little weird to me. They could say something like five years before the dark curse or something. I mean, that would make it clear because everybody was pretty confused. And I guess they might be doing that for new viewers who don't really understand the curse and the freeze and the whole thing. And it doesn't really matter right now. But the longtime fans are now the ones who are confused. So maybe, yeah, maybe just say, maybe don't say anything. Give us more 
I think there are honestly are enough story clues. It almost doesn't need to be labeled. Right. I mean, it's clearly it's clearly a flashback. It's clearly a flashback and it's clearly precurse if you have Rumple in the Enchanted Forest as the Dark One. Right. All sparkly and everything. So to Camelot, it feels like five years ago. True. That's really what it comes down to is in Camelot time, we're talking five years. Camelot time. That sounds so magical. Well, the magic in Camelot started many years ago. And let's start there in our discussions in the past. Sure started something. This little uh, blooming relationship between (laughs) Guinevere and Arthur. Now, one thing that we know from this is that it wasn't Arthur who trapped Merlin in the tree. Oh, true. Unless he was a devious little baby. And a lot of things have been said about Merlin's prophecy. And I do wonder, what if it wasn't Merlin who prophesied, or as they put it, prophesied? Yeah, just because he was spoken to by a tree. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we're going to actually go back a little further and see, oh, maybe young Arthur traipsing through the woods and he finds one of those toadstools and somehow that enables him to speak with whatever is in the tree, presumably Merlin. Maybe, but if Merlin is still in the tree back in the 1980s, when Emma was in the movie theater, I'm assuming that Arthur saw, quote, saw mm. Merlin the same way Emma did. I think it's like a projection. If we're still yeah. going with the Merlin was in the theater thing. Oh, I'm sure. I'm was. sure. True. Or it could be something like he can only project himself in our world or only to children or something like that. <laughs> only to children. <laughs> there was an old TV show. <laughs> this has never been referenced on this podcast before. Quantum Leap. And there was this character in Quantum Leap that was a hologram to the main character. And for some strange mm-hmm. reason, kids could see that hologram. And the main character could see it. And some mentally insane people could also see the hologram. But maybe Merlin is something like that. <laughs> that he doesn't appear to adults he only appears to children and he's only visible to children until he's freed from the tree if it's really merlin in the tree what if it's morgana yeah what if well then i want to know where merlin is yeah because he's just i I don't know it would fit with authorian mythology for him to be inside the tree though and i would like for them to stick somewhat close to the actual mythology and merlin being in the trees is right on point okay there was something that Rumpelstead later on uh, that he did say something about Merlin being stuck in the yeah. tree. So if Rumpel believes it, it makes me think we should probably believe it too. Right. What On the rewatch at first, I thought the same thing. Like maybe, well, if we're just talking about a kid who heard a voice from a tree saying it was Merlin, maybe it isn't really. But Rumpel did call him a wizard stuck in a tree. Yeah. And he's not talking call the fire department style. Now, did you notice the the bully kid was Kay? That's no. the guy who grows up to become <laughs> Sir Kay, who was the first to try to pull the sword out of the stone and went whoop, and disappeared. <laughs> it's interesting that he's not related to Arthur, because in original mythology, Sir Kay is supposed to be his foster brother. And Kay's father, Sir Ector, actually raises Arthur after he's taken away from um, the the Lady Egraine, his mother. Hmm. 
it seems as though they're going with the whole just totally being an orphan kind of kid, which makes me wonder about Arthur's backstory as an infant and what happened to his parents. Whether there were any twisters involved or levitation of trees. Right, right. (laughs) No. Yeah, I think we probably will see a little bit more, at least one more set of flashbacks from even further back in his life. I would hope so, because he has a really interesting backstory with Uther and the Lady Egraine and what happens with them. And it's it's really important to the mythology. So I kind of hope so. But then again, Once Upon a Time's approach isn't necessarily to retell the actual story, but it's usually to give us the before and the after of the stories that we know. But as we have revealed to us a little bit more about Merlin and the prophecy, I think we at least may see some pieces of that. Yeah, because Merlin is a big reason why Arthur isn't raised by his his mother. You know, he does take the child. So I'm hoping that we get that. I would even theorize that Arthur has spoken or believes he's spoken with Merlin several times. And so we may have an episode where we see flashbacks to several points in his life where he has been in contact with Merlin because there was the initial time and maybe we want to see how that started and hear what the prophecy actually was, you know, a little more detail than what young Arthur said. And then what happened that caused caused him to start wanting to run Merlin through with a sword, unless it was just a growing bitterness over the broken sword. I don't... Right. There, yeah, there's a lot of bitterness going on. But they said, saying things like, prove him wrong or prove yourself to Merlin. The prophecy that young Arthur stated didn't give any kind of lack of faith. Yeah. And it sounded like young Arthur was excited to be the one that this prophecy was about and excited to one day be the ruler of this kingdom. Right. So there's got to be more contact somewhere, I would think. Now, in this first scene in the episode is when we're introduced to the middle mist flower and there's something cool about the middle mist red flower is that it is one of if not the rarest flower in the world there are only two known in existence right now and one is in the new zealand garden and the other is in the greenhouse garden of the united kingdom i feel like it looks a little different than what we were seeing in the show. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, it's it's very close to looking like a rose, but it's a little bit more um, round mm-hmm. in its actual shape, the, the real flower. So, uh, But it's neat that they use something like that, the rarest, if not, uh, well, probably the rarest flower mm-hmm. in this. And, and that is just a, a way that keeps the magic, I think, visible in Once Upon a Time and a little thing for those who are like, oh, <gasps> Wow, yeah, that's a special flower. <laughs> flower enthusiasts. Uh, also, way back in the scene, I noticed that you there is the one tower in Camelot. Is that Merlin's tower? It's whatever they were standing in when they fixed the kingdom. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's Merlin's tower. The inside, it's the same as okay. Merlin's tower as we've so seen So that's the elsewhere. only thing, basically, that they had. But was that tower there mm-hmm. when they were kids? Yeah. So Camelot gets its new king eventually as we get that nice little refresher that, yes, Arthur did pull the sword from the stone, and he's now the king in Camelot. So with the nice little refresher, we do see that Camelot does get its king, and yes, Arthur gets to be that man who pulls 
the sword out of the stone and becomes the king. Yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) He probably could have just, you know, done it. Like, go ahead and admit the sword's faults to the people and do the thing. It's These people, they have no castle. It's not like their expectations are really high right now. (laughs) They seemed perfectly fine both before Arthur pulled out that sword and after. So I don't think they're really concerned with whether or not the sword is whole. Right. I have a lot of questions about, well, this scene raised a lot of questions for me, I guess. I want to know where Lancelot came from because he wasn't there when they were kids. Yeah, I was surprised by that, too. I want to know how he started following King Arthur. I mean, did Arthur like go out and recruit people and say, hey, this tree told me I was going to, you know, (laughs) pull a sword from a stone so you should follow me? I don't get that. Hmm. But one of my biggest questions is, why is it Camelot pre-Arthur? Because Arthur builds Camelot. After he takes Excalibur and he becomes the rightful king, people follow him and then he builds Camelot, the perfect kingdom. So I don't know why it's Camelot when he's still a kid. I don't, I mean, how was it Camelot before? Who was ruling it before? Did someone have the sword before Arthur? And I can see them saying that was the name of the village. So that's the name of the kingdom that he built. But why call it the broken kingdom? Like just because it's a little village, a little settlement, it has no king. Why would you just be like, huh, you're just a broken kingdom. Unless it was once a kingdom with this tower thing for some reason. And yeah, it's got that that tower. So maybe it was once ruled by Merlin, mm-hmm. and then Merlin was cast into this tree, and then the kingdom crumbled. And then the question would be, what did that kingdom look like before it was broken? Yeah. Was Merlin just sitting in his tower while everyone else was in hovels? Is Merlin nice or is he bad? I think he's nice. Okay. Because so far it seems everyone who's against Merlin is the bad guy. And he does seem to want to, you know, keep the darkness from destroying everything. So that's probably good. The enemy of the enemy of all things is probably our friend. <laughs> but speaking of our friends, I want to thank some friends who have been heroes to this podcast for us and keep the podcast going episode after episode. Our kind supporters. For this episode, special thanks to David Newland, Lisa Slack, Irvin Z. Martinez, and Swan Got Hooked. Thank you very much for your kind support. And we have 29 backers on Patreon as well. Without you, this podcast probably couldn't exist. It would be like the broken podcast. But because (laughs) of you, this has become a wonderful, fun podcast, great community, and we're able to continue on. It does cost to host the podcast. So we really appreciate every bit that you're able to contribute. If you'd like to be a hero to the podcast as well and keep it going and enable us to upgrade things as we go along, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. You don't have to have the sands of Avalon, but you can contribute as little as a dollar a month or $10 a month or $100 a month. It's up to you, but check it out. Your options over there at oncepodcast.com slash hero. You could even do your shopping on amazon.com after clicking on our link first, and then we get a portion of it and it doesn't cost you anything extra. All of those options are at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Arthur is not being a supportive husband. And he's expecting his wife, I think, to support him way too much. And this scene with Guinevere coming in, 
it is painful. <laughs> like I, as a husband, I watch it and I just, I know I let it out in the, the initial reactions, but dude, dance with your wife. Can't you see how much she's hurting? Especially since she's not exactly saying, um, could you go dress up and then drive you know, about 45 minutes and then get the car parked and then come to this fancy party. She's like, would you, would you come out the door and dance at my birthday party? I mean, that you supposedly threw for me. Uh, yeah. Seems like it wouldn't have been that difficult. He's obsessed. He's completely consumed. Mm -hmm. It's kind of sad. And that's keeping him from his love of Guinevere. And you can see the pain, and this has just consumed him. Like a consuming thing that consumes. It's also uh, taken up so much of his attention that he could have been building the kingdom this whole time. Right. But instead, he's been obsessing over these documents, these uh, translations and different languages and pictograms and all of this stuff, trying to figure this out. Imagine where... Camelot could have been if he had really pursued building it instead of trying to fix the broken sword. Mm -hmm. People were willing to follow him. They already were calling him king. Yeah. He already had the fancy get up like, I'm a king or I'm a knight or whatever. And there were totally witnesses saying, yeah, the one guy, he tried to take the sword and uh, do you see him anymore? No. But here, Arthur got the sword just fine. Clearly he's worthy. He's the king. The end. They all lived happily ever after, but no. <laughs> yeah. It was sad watching Guinevere because she was obviously pretty sad. But at the same time, I don't fully understand how she's really upset that Arthur is so obsessed and myopic and not being, I guess, a good husband and even a good king. But apparently she's harboring this secret love for Lancelot. I had some issues with their love story because it felt really fast well i was gonna say do you think it even was a thing at that party well i don't know because the very next day they head out to the vault and they end up you know kissing under the goop or whatever so <laughs> it it i mean i think lancelot was in love with her i think Cinqua walls who plays lancelot did a nice job of it being kind of this this thing that he's holding inside that he obviously cares about guinevere quite a bit but she just seems really distressed over arthur so i don't get how i'm supposed to believe that she is secretly in love with him and how they have this you know epic love story it's one of the most legendary love stories of all time they don't not in this show i think it was just a moment yeah here it was in a sense a rebound sort of thing she's hurting because Arthur isn't giving her the love that he should. Dance with your wife, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, then here is Lancelot, who is doing these things that she dreamed of, like the Middle Mist flowers and a party on her birthday. And he's arranged all of this. He's being a better friend than her own husband. So all of this attention that she's wanting to get from her husband, that he's not giving her because he's obsessing over the dagger she's finding some attention and love to some level whether that be a friendship respect maybe a romantic love originally but whatever the case yes lancelot loves her from a distance uh, but it seemed like he was trying to be honorable about it this whole time 
and still do special things for her, but not necessarily directly pursue her. But then here he's the one who makes a sacrifice and who puts on this party for her and all of this stuff. And she's thinking, wow, this guy loves me. Yeah, which I kind of had to ask myself how the flowers were what tipped her off. That's something kind of only Arthur knows about. Unless it's really happened at other birthdays. So I don't know why she figured it out at that moment. How did he even yeah, know I about that? either. Right, because we didn't see Lancelot with Guinevere and Arthur as kids the very first time he gave her that flower. So unless it's just a story he knows from traveling and living amongst them, I don't know. Like I said, I thought their love story was really fast and not thoroughly explained. It's like the writers knew that Lancelot and Guinevere had to love each other because that's the story. But there's, I, I don't know why in this show. So they go on this little quest together, though. And I was really excited to see them get to go inside the Dark One's vault. Even if it was filled with flying squid ink. <laughs> but I was a little disappointed that there wasn't more to it. Like, I was expecting it to be more menacing inside or more mysterious or yeah. something other than simply a cave. Yeah, well, like something that represents all of the previous dark ones. That could have been really cool, an item from all of the previous dark ones or or something that would look kind of like Rumpel's secret vault that has no doors and all of that stuff or or something just a lot more interesting than a cave. Yeah, I think a chamber that resembled the door to the chamber would have been rather appropriate. Something big and kind of, not that I'm really a fan of these things, but something big and kind of evil looking and something that looks like it would somehow house some big force of evil. I don't know. Uh, But speaking of that, I don't understand why it was flying around as though untethered in the cave, which is why I called it squid ink instead. Anything, hint, Jeremy says squid ink when he means inconsistency. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was so confused. It I was, was so confused. To me, it diminished the big epic scene with Regina and Emma in Storybrooke yeah. to see it sort of happen again in this vault for no apparent reason and have Guinevere kind of make it go away with just an everyday item rather than the dagger. It was a little strange for me. I think because this is merely a security system and <laughs> maybe they did it that way for the lost fans, but, <laughs> but they, they shot it exactly how they shot yeah. the, the finale for um, 422 complete with, you know, at one point the camera pans back and you see just Lancelot's eyes as the darkness whirls around him, which is what they did with Emma. I mean, I don't know. You could be right, but that's really inconsistent. And it made me think that Rumpel can cast the darkness out of him or something, which would just be wildly inconsistent. Yeah. And it did look the same. So we can't necessarily say, well, this is different darkness because all evidence, its behavior, its looks and everything is that it functions and it is the same as the other darkness. But maybe because this is the vault of the dark one. Maybe it has some remnant darkness goo to it. Because after all, <laughs> when they opened it, it did goo out the darkness. 
<laughs> like the only time we've seen that happen before was when Rumpel emerged from the vault and when Emma emerged from the vault. And then it just kind of poofed like it wasn't real. Yeah. Yeah. And really, the vault was never mentioned before the odd way Rumpel was brought back anyway, correct? Right. And that required some other hijinks and shenanigans in order to arrive at that. A death. Yes. Of which we do not speak. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say, I'll just stay quiet now because no one wants to hear my rant about how angry (laughs) this made me. Bad associations with that vault. Bad associations. Bad things. (laughs) I do like that there's this place that Rumpel keeps the dagger. Really? You like that? Yeah. Or and and I the impression I got is that the only way you can get to this place is either being the dark one or going through the dark one vault to the door and then that takes you to this place. But that it's kind of like a space that doesn't really exist anywhere that you can simply walk to. <laughs> it you would think it would be one of the most secure places anywhere. But unfortunately, it has a simple passcode that someone wrote down, and that was found. (laughs) Yeah. Well, did Rumpel create that door and the special place, the Jungle of Mystery? (laughs) Is that its official name, the Jungle of Mystery? That's what I've decided it's being called. Okay. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. But that means Rumpel can create portals, which, (laughs) going back to season one, I have a lot of issues with. Okay. Maybe it's a hologram. Well, Maybe. And it, it might not necessarily be a portal to a different world, but it's it's more like a different dimension, sort of. That a pocket. It's, yeah, it's like a pocket <laughs> a that pocket exists universe. in Enchanted Forest <laughs> slash uh, Camelot Forest. Or it's really just a doorway and it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> he made the TARDIS. Okay. <laughs> well, a TARDIS, certainly. Yeah, I if I had to go with anything, I was going to suggest um, that perhaps it's pre-Rumble. Maybe Rumble didn't necessarily make it, but it's something that is tied to just the beginning of the Dark One. We really need more Dark One backstory and mythology oh, yeah, at yeah. this point. And I think we'll get that probably the same episode. And I know, Jacqueline, if you know something, you can't say. But here's what I think is I think that. We're going to get some backstory of Merlin, and mm-hmm. in that episode, we'll also get the backstory of the Dark One. Because for me, one of the highlights was uh, of the finale for season four was hearing the Apprentice talk about Merlin mm-hmm. battling the darkness and tethering it to the Dark One, and or thus, low lights on this topic, and thus the the introduction mm-hmm. of the Dark One and that whole thing, and that there have been yep. many Dark Ones over the years and every dark one has tried to uh, cleave themselves from the power of the dagger <laughs> i cleave. am gonna pretend you did not just say that word <laughs> cleave was a different season's vocab word this season it's snuff yes it is snuff <laughs> so i think we'll get both of those backstories in the same episode that is a story i would be very interested in seeing we do have one little bit of feedback obviously this is the scene where rumple gives Guinevere, the mystical sands of Avalon. And mm-hmm. Avalon is actually pretty important to Arthurian mythology. It's a legendary island. It's the place where Excalibur was actually forged. And Arthur is taken there after a really big battle because he has a lot of wounds and he has to go heal. And it's 
heavily associated with Morgan Le Fay. Uh. Normally, she comes from there, and she returns there, and then she actually takes Arthur there at the end of kind of the entire saga, and someday he'll come back. Hmm. Nice. Hmm. And that was Heart of Darkness that pointed that out for us, one of our listeners. Oh, I thought you meant the episode. I, I like when we see that maybe Morgana might be involved in this, but I don't know if that has anything to do with this actual sand. Right. But something that harkens back to Morgan Le Fay or Morgana. Yeah. I'm, that excites me. So while Arthur is busy working, he has time to spy out from his little tower of solitude. <laughs> and it's definitely Merlin's tower. Merlin's room, all of that stuff. And he's talking a lot about proving Merlin wrong and not wanting or something about being the king of this godforsaken kingdom. (laughs) And in some ways, it sounds like Arthur doesn't want to be king or didn't want to be king of this kingdom or like he feels Mm. like, okay, I'm king, but I'm a king that deserves more than this kingdom. He I, did mention later that he wanted to be known as the greatest king who ever lived or something yeah. to that effect. So maybe, maybe he wanted that and Merlin told him, nah, dude, you got to just kind of like this kingdom. You're, you're cool, but like this is your kingdom. And he's like, but I have a broken kingdom and a broken sword. He's like, just stay where you are. It's like quiet tree. I'm gonna run you through with this broken sword. If it was truly Merlin that told him the prophecy and everything, then why couldn't he have just done the work? Why was he always trying to look for the magical fix? Or as Guinevere said, Stop trying to mend that sword or your marriage (laughs) and your kingdom will be broken forever. Which, yeah. Well... It's definitely a theme with the villains on Once Upon a Time that they all become very obsessed. Cora was obsessed with the idea of living through Regina and making sure that Regina became queen and, and got to live out the life that Cora never did. With Pan, he was obsessed with staying young forever. Ingrid was obsessed with having her sisters back. You know, I think this is kind of just following along that same trail. You know, Hook being obsessed with wanting to kill Rumpel. The villains on Once Upon a Time get very, very obsessed, and they find it hard to let go. And he's so willing to do whatever it takes, and he said that, except to do the actual work. He's really more like willing to do whatever it takes to find the magical microwave solution in order to, quote, fix, unquote, everything. But all this time, he could have done the work and had the great kingdom in his power. So what's Merlin going to say when if Merlin does confront Arthur? Bad things. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna turn him into a squirrel. <laughs> I I had mixed feelings because obviously he's obsessed and partially Guinevere's right, but sort of threatening him and giving him an ultimatum and saying, I'll follow my heart to where it belongs. I, I that didn't sit well with me. Personally, it almost there was a part, except that it was a little too far. She almost sounded more reasonable after he hit her with the sand. Just because suddenly she was kind of like, hmm, well, you are on a quest and yeah, let's do that. Which there's got to be some balance somewhere in there. Maybe it's not a bad quest. Depends on what he expects to accomplish with the sword. Well, you know, backing up to 
the night that he should have danced with his wife. It seemed like she was so supportive, so willing to put mm-hmm. up with this and had been, but there was this night that she really needed him. Mm-hmm. And that's what she was saying. Your wife needs you tonight. And she was, it seemed like she was willing to then let him go back to his questing and stuff. And guys, don't forget the girl. <laughs> Dance with your wife. <laughs> he said she was the most important thing, but he didn't show it. Right. And then when she came back, he really didn't show it. <laughs> well, I have one very specific note about this scene. And I've actually written in our show notes this insanely long response that I was planning on reading. But I think for the sake of brevity and everybody, I'm kind of condense it here a bit. I have some major issues with the way Arthur magicked Guinevere. Oh, sure, for sure. <laughs> the mystical sand of Avalon is basically tantamount to a roofie. And it makes Guinevere more pliable, more willing, and unable to leave the man who's basically now kind of holding her hostage. Hmm. Guinevere doesn't appear to have any more love for Arthur. I mean, she seems to have fallen in love with Lancelot somewhere or at least wants to be with him because he'll pay attention to her. And she actually uses the past tense loved when she's talking to Arthur as if she no longer loves him at all. Yet Arthur has to use this drug to get her to stay and do as he desires. And I recognize that this is kind of a sensitive topic, you know, but it's, it's very consent issue and i really wish that this wasn't the first time once upon a time has had this kind of Mm storyline but they they keep doing it over and over and i'm kind of at the point where i can't just voice uh my criticisms on the forum anymore (laughs) so when i knew that i was gonna be here tonight i was like well we've been talking about it all week at the forums i have to say something and a lot of people are kind of just really upset and done with the fact that Once Upon a Time keeps bringing this up and never having any of the ramifications or introspective, thoughtful storylines you would want to come from this kind mm-hmm. of storytelling. Well, if I may, and I, I don't want to downplay it at all, but what I wonder, and I'd, I would like to hear sort of more of an official response from the writers about that topic, since I'm sure you and our community are not the only ones stating that or asking that. Uh, So maybe we'll get that answer. But what I wonder is if their perspective may be, she had said, if you don't give up the mending of the sword, I will leave. She wanted to stay with him. She said, I don't want any of it unless it's real. So she, it's not that she wanted completely, definitely to leave or to go away. From their perspective, maybe what they're thinking is that he used the sand to have everything both Guinevere and his obsession instead of having to choose, which is another theme with all the villains once upon a time. They want everything. And I think, and I have my hopes that this time this will be a bit more different because every time you've seen a villain use magic to accomplish something and it, it uh, was really taking away the freedom of someone else, or it was an offensive act in some way, you Mm -hmm. never really saw them deal specifically with writing that. Uh, fixing that, that is. Not often, that is. And they can't necessarily fit all of that in. But I feel like this time it might be a little bit different because this is a bit more integral to the storyline to see that when this is done, 
when Merlin is brought back or whenever, however this story arc is resolved, I think we'll see Arthur just feeling broken and everything that he, quote, fixed, unquote, with this sand of Avalon being reversed and his being confronted with, wow, you did all of this damage. You did mm-hmm. all of this stuff, this fake stuff. You forced your wife to stay here uh, by using magic on her to make it appear fixed. And that's the thing is, remember, this potion didn't fix things. It mm-hmm. made it appear right. to have been fixed. So everything that we see is really a fake. It's not even... It makes me even wonder, is Guinevere inside her mind mm-hmm. resisting or trying to fight this? Or like, is her response only outwardly and inside there's this battle where inside she knows she doesn't want to do this, hmm. but it's the appearance of being fixed. Right. And I think that this time they've positioned things in a way that that resolution, that true fix does need to be dealt with as you're talking about Jacqueline. And, and we need to see them address this in some way. I don't disagree. I do think that it's going to come back into the narrative as opposed to, you know, the Regina and Graham example where it's never brought up, it's never discussed. And when fans do pressure Adam and Eddie on social media for an answer, it gets <laughs> ugly. But my my other concern is that they are going to try and make Arthur look as much a victim as Guinevere because he'll say something along the lines of, well, Merlin gave me this prophecy. It had to be me. You were part of the prophecy. I had to do everything in order to keep you. You know, woe is me. <laughs> and I, it kind of just makes my skin crawl a little bit. So I agree that it's going to come back up in the story. I just I don't know how well they're going to be able to handle it because I don't know that Adam and Eddie and the rest of the writers realize that they are promoting and writing something that is in poor taste because they keep doing it. Yeah, now they other than Regina and Graham, Mm -hmm. there hasn't been anything else where they've been saying that it is essentially rape or something that well, serious. Well, I completely I know, disagree with well, you. <laughs> they're not making it obvious. Although, yes, it's implied because husband and wife, and if she wants to leave or if she feels like she can't stay with him anymore, but he's forcing her with his, this magic, then yes, other things come along with that. Right. But I think maybe you're forgetting Zelina and Robin. And, you know, Robin did not know that he was having sex with Zelina. He thought he was having sex with Marion. And I brought that up back when we watched episode 417. And, and then and that's trickery there. So that wasn't she was forcing him. That was trickery. Oh, but... there's mm, <laughs> he said it, guys, not me. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, the mm-hmm. weird thing is that for the most part, it's the situation that one's a situation that's not even possible in real life. So, I mean, I guess the, there are some comparisons that could be made. Well, I, I was very uncomfortable with that. Especially the way she taunted him later. I mean, I'm still very uncomfortable with that. Here's the basic thing of it is when you start dealing with magic and and I'm saying in a story and you're writing with magic and trying to come up with rules and stuff, you end up making a mess, (laughs) a mess of morality, a mess of relationships, and uh, it gets ugly and 
I think, yeah, there are a lot of things that would be great for them to basically come out and say, okay, that was wrong. But then again, that's not the point of the show. The point of the show is hope. Mm-hmm. So they do have some stuff to deal with in bringing it back to, okay, there's this big mess that magic makes, but where's the hope in this? And they need to bring it back to that at some point. So yeah. I, I know that along the way, they're going to offend people. Uh, there are things that have bothered us that we've talked about, things that have bothered other fans that uh, that we might not have gotten to, uh, stuff that Jacqueline is very in touch with because of being in the forum so much. and. Uh, things that like bother the women more than the men or bother the men more than the women and stuff. It's a mess. And I do want to see them fix it. I want them want to see them kind of be a, m- a bit more outright in saying, okay, this is wrong. Let's fix this. Or there needs to be some clear something that makes this right. better and not just throwing sand on us, the audience. <laughs> and I hope yeah, let's not that, do that. In the end, and I hope for other reasons, even than this, in the end, the idea isn't that she wanted to leave him or that she wants to leave him. I'm getting kind of tired of this redundant theme of, oh, well, they're married, but this person belongs with this person and this person actually belongs with this person. So really, they should separate. Well, it's a marriage. So hopefully they love each other. Hopefully they aren't just living by their feelings. I mean, marriage is a commitment. So... I don't want to see us. And, and it's legendary in this case. I don't want to see them say, oh, Guinevere actually belongs with Lancelot. So, yeah, I've got another thing on that, actually, as we get toward the end of the episode. So I know we've got several forum threads that are talking about this and other things, too. So you'll be welcome to go there and respectfully share your opinions and such. The thing is, there's a lot that has to be fixed. It's messy, ugly. I wouldn't mind if it was messy and ugly because media can do storylines, you know, about consent and rape and they can have it mean something, you know, the forums, a bunch of us, we watched the series outlander together and a lot of us loved it. And we had some really great conversations toward the end of the season about some things that transpired and about how this was quote unquote, the right way to do a storyline like this because there is introspective and there is a very clear this is wrong and this is the kind of effect that it has on the victim and on the people that the victim loves and that love them. But with Once Upon a Time, it becomes a way to only further the plot. And I do not think that the writers are advocating rape in any sense of that. I think they are not aware that they <laughs> right. continually use that story trope. Right. That's where it comes back. And they this happens a lot too i mean i as a christian uh, i see things in movies that if i wasn't a strong christian i could be easily offended by a lot of things Mm -hmm. in movies the thing that i have to remember and i'm speaking for myself here is when i see these things for one thing it's not always that the movie producers set out to say oh this is the message we're trying to do or we Mm -hmm. have this agenda yes there are agendas sometimes Sometimes people are simply being consistent with their own worldviews or they're being lazy. And I think in a TV series, (laughs) it's very easy to be lazy because you have to pump out episode after episode after episode. And there's not as much of a vetting process on the scripts and on the, the production and review and all of that stuff. 
to be able to catch some of these things and recognize this is what the audience is going to think, or this is what you're implying here. It's an unfortunate thing with the way that media works, but they're not going to bring this back to hope and that's going to fix everything. But I think they are going to, in some way, bring things back to hope. And we can, we can hope that they move things along because yes, the audience knows what's right and wrong in general, and the audience can see these things. It's unfortunate that they're stumbling along the way, and it'd be great if they could afford uh, more personnel or afford more writers or something <laughs> like that to help vet this stuff. I just don't know if that can happen. But we do need to move on in our conversation. Uh, I'm not disrespecting the topic here, but uh, we do need to move on. It's a magical mess sometimes. <laughs> a magical mess. But then stepping into the present where things are also a mess. <laughs> it's just a mess all over the place. We see Emma in her room, unable to sleep, whittling away, literally whittling away, oh. and a wall of dream catchers. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm fine. I don't have an emotional tie to Emma and dream catchers at all. I'm totally fine. <laughs> I didn't cry and yell, Neil. It's fine. <laughs> Now, in case you're a little unfamiliar with uh, Dreamcatchers, Andrea, or maybe it's Andrea, uh, <laughs> sent us some feedback. Andrea said, I'm part Native American, tribe Pima, and my cousin makes decorative Dreamcatchers for our family, friends, and as part of a living as an artist. And depending on the size of the Dreamcatcher, it takes anywhere from two to three hours to make each one. The bigger it is, the longer it takes. Remember, Emma had a wall or window covered with these Dreamcatchers. So the insight here, since it seemed like there were at least a dozen or so dream catchers in the scene, Emma must have been at this for hours, maybe a day, and I would say maybe even days of sleepless nights making dream catchers. If she's the one making them, well, that tells me two things. One is, uh, as Slurpees pointed out, that dream catchers are like flypaper for bad dreams or nightmares. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one thing is maybe she's trying to make these dream catchers to try and keep the nightmares or the dark one visions away. Clearly not working. <laughs> the other thing, and Jacqueline, this may make you cry more. Uh -huh. Maybe she's thinking of Neil. <laughs> Maybe. <gasps> At least somebody is. And also, it helps to pass the time. That's true. <laughs> Rumpel did say, you need a hobby. <laughs> it's, it's her hobby. She's making dream catchers. I want to know where she got the feathers from. Like, is she going around plucking the livestock of Camelot? <laughs> I think she yeah. should be making them out of gold. I actually had kind of a theory as to why she's making the Dreamcatchers. Besides, you know, to kill me with Swanfire feels. <laughs> she has, I think, a lot of the memories and emotions from the Dark Ones currently living inside her head. Because we see that manifest in the darkness talking to her. And I'm wondering if she's trying to infuse the Dreamcatchers somehow with the various Dark One memories to get them out of her head. Mm. So that's why there are so many, because there have been so many Dark Ones that she keeps needing to make more and more Dreamcatchers. Interesting. So maybe by looking at the Dreamcatchers, we could get an idea of how many Dark Ones there actually were. I count one, right. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and she was making another one that's all i can see on the window so eight on the window and it looked like she was making another one so potentially nine other dark ones if that theory lines up which i like that theory and really the yeah. props department is just like they were having a sale on dream catchers at michael's and here we are 
So the dagger calls out to the owner. And I'm sure it sounded something like this. I feel like maybe I should touch that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Lego movie. Thank you. (laughs) That's what I was thinking when I was hearing the voices and seeing Emma reaching for it. (laughs) But he said it was calling to its other half, Mm -hmm. which I would say it's actually a little more than half, but you know. So could she hear it only because of that? The other half is the darkness inside of her, correct? Oh, I thought the other half was the rest of Excalibur. Oh, no, I thought it was the... Oh, well. So is it like... But I wasn't sure. I don't know. Every dark one before then has heard this, and it's been a way that they could go back to the dagger? I'd say no, because early on, a big part of the story was the search for the dagger, yes? Right. Well, no, because he wasn't the dark one when he searched for it. He was searching for Zoso's dagger. Zoso knew exactly where it was, That's true. Okay. So maybe Zoso even suffered from that. Maybe. Yeah, I think the darkness and the dagger are so linked together that they can always feel each other. It's like they just, it's basically Voldemort and his horcruxes. (laughs) Yeah. So why didn't Zoso go get it? Finders keepers? Because Zoso wanted to be free of it. So he had this whole plan in order to to take advantage of a desperate soul Mm -hmm. so that he could be free of the Dark One curse and just die. True. Yeah, I guess it wasn't like he was saying, Hi, I'm the Dark One. Here's my dagger. Kill me. He had to be creepy and say path in a funny way. I liked seeing David and Mary Margaret or Snow fighting. You liked that, did you? Well, the the whole with Regina right there. (laughs) Regina was the best part of that, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Dramatic use. But they made up, as they point out later. In secret for plot purposes. (laughs) I liked seeing them fight, not because I hate snowing or because I want them to fight all the time, (laughs) but I think it adds a level of realness to their relationship. I mean, they're going through something that's pretty terrible. You know, their child is suddenly acting terribly and it (laughs) would cause tension between mom and dad. So I'm glad that there's that level of realness between them. We just need Emma to say, Mom, Dad, stop fighting. (laughs) I'm an adult. Leave me alone, guys. She should have run away. That would have been a call out to her past. But I did like that they had this whole trap then planned for Arthur to maybe catch Arthur or test Arthur and all of that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Guinevere said is that Lancelot coveted more than a kiss. And how much of that is, well, all of that is probably the, the whole sand of Avalon speaking. And yes, Lancelot did love her, but Lancelot did an honorable thing when confronted with this and the kiss and all of that. He said, never there in, in the, Cave, mm-hmm. And it made me think that that was the moment he decided, I have to leave. This isn't right. I have to leave. And that's why what we see happening later is that he leaves. So I think although he felt something for a yes, confronted, he did the honorable thing, decided to leave. But this the sand is what's making... Guinevere right. start to say, like, he coveted much more. And, all and see, this. I didn't know if she meant more with her or more... In general, like control of the kingdom. Ah, uh, yeah. 
Because Arthur does seem to think that a little bit as the episode goes on, that it seems like he's thinking that Lancelot wanted to take over and be the king of Camelot. Right. But Snow and Lancelot get to go on their nice little quest together. And it was nice to see that vision (laughs) come back up again when they're in the Dark One vault. Where's the security system now, by the way? Oh, you know. Um... It's dealing with Jacob and the man in black yes, back on the island. That's exactly. It's in a bottle somewhere with cork on it. I think it's busy menacing Emma as she staggers through the woods with Hook and Henry. <laughs> the vision that Snow saw was from the episode Best Laid Plans. It's when back in Enchanted Forest, Snow White and Prince Charming found the unicorn, touched it, and got to see a vision of their child's future. And David saw that, oh, the baby's going to be so cute. And Snow saw instead a vision of Emma ripping her heart out. And that's when Snow said, but I'm your mother. And Emma said, I don't care. I think we're going to see that exchange still happen. Yeah, I think that's a good theory. Except, you know, David saw the exact same jungle of mystery, but he saw happy Emma. So if they saw different things, then are we still going to see that exchange? I mean, is it maybe... We see the I don't care exchange because Emma chooses to go dark in the end. So it's like she had a choice. She could be the the happy Emma or she could go dark. And once she makes that choice to go dark, then we might have a similar exchange between her and Snow. At the time of that vision, didn't we think we knew where they were? We thought it looked kind of like Neverland, but they were in the Enchanted Forest. Just they found the unicorn. That was it. But we didn't really have much other theory of where that was or what was happening. But it's in this little exchange that we learned that Arthur doesn't only want to prove himself to Merlin now or to prove Merlin wrong. Now he actually wants to kill Merlin. So Arthur went from being like, oh, Merlin's the great guy and he gave me this (laughs) prophecy that I'm going to be this great king and you'll be my queen and we'll live happily ever after to then I've got to prove him wrong or prove myself to Merlin and prove him wrong to now I'm going to kill him with this sword. Right, which um, I guess they've never heard of an axe or a saw. <laughs> the dude's a tree. You know, I'm guessing that tree can't be cut down. Well, I'm guessing that too, but I'm being ridiculous. Yeah, uh, this so <laughs> Snow taking the dagger to Lancelot. First, I thought David was pulling a David and being stupid, talking to Arthur. And then I thought Snow was pulling a David by going to Lancelot, but then they salvaged that whole thing for me, and I was very happy. Yeah, I was glad that there was an elaborate ruse going on, because when Snow hands that dagger to Arthur, I just kind of, I didn't know what to do. I was like, you just handed over control of your daughter. So I was glad there was something else going on. And as far as killing Merlin, I think... Arthur is very, very tired of not being able to live up to this prophecy that he was told. And that goes back to what we saw last week when he was commiserating with Prince Charming. You know, oh, a stone is the one that told me I would be king. But he's obviously not, he knows he's not doing a great job because he is still living in the broken kingdom. So he's going to kill Merlin basically out of anger and rage for 
all these great things he was told was going to happen not coming true. Yeah, I, I guess that could be how it goes. We'll have to see flashbacks either way to explain it. I kind of think we'll see more communication, like I was saying earlier, but I, it, it could be that he just builds up years of rage over not getting what he was promised in his eyes. I liked seeing that Henry now has a crush and Hook and Emma's reactions to it were just wonderful. But Hook and Emma take this little trip on the horse and uh, as they're riding away, Rumpelstiltskin, Dark One in her mind, had this little smirk on his face. And it made me wonder, is that the smirk of this actually won't work? It's actually going to help me? Or was it the smirk of, ah, you'll be back? I thought it was the smirk of, I'm not real. And I'm kind of in your brain. And your eyes just got really wide and it looked really <laughs> funny considering you've seen me everywhere you've looked for days. And suddenly this time you were really surprised that I moved. That's the smirk I thought I saw. <laughs> I think Darkness Rumple knows that Emma will be back. That this is only a temporary cure. I have expected him to reappear when Hook said, what do you not see? Yeah. Like, Dang it. It's like when, so- when someone reminds you that you got a song out of your head. Like, not anymore. <laughs> um, did you guys notice that the field of flowers Emma and Hook are standing in are the same flowers that Arthur gives to Guinevere? Because those oh, flowers yes. kept appearing all over the episode when... Oh, yeah you had romantic couples in the shot. And honestly, in the ridiculous version that plays in my head sometimes alongside the real version, Guinevere just pops out of nowhere and says, Middle Miss Flowers! Like she did every other single time they were shown in the episode. (laughs) I I know Swan Princess had some interesting theory about this. Jacqueline, you saw that from the forum. What did she say? Yeah, in our one of our threads, she wrote, In the end of the episode, Emma and Hook kissed in a field full of flowers, and it was very romantic. But the flowers were the ones Arthur gave Guinevere, the ones that symbolize their crumbling relationship. Are the writers stupid or what? What is going on? What <laughs> game are they playing? And then I added this to what she said. The roses are also in the shot where you see Regina walking <laughs> back and forth when Robin is standing there with her. They're very clearly in front of the camera. So I don't know if like they're setting something up because the only time you see them is when you have romantic couples. I thought they were a symbol of their real love before it was crumbling. And even when the sands made their relationship appear fixed, suddenly a bouquet of those flowers were in her hands. Yeah, because it's supposed to appear that these things appear. are no longer broken. Right. I, but it's a falsehood. Well, well, those that those particular ones were false, but I think maybe they're just supposed to be, look, epic love, along with these flowers. Maybe, uh, oh, maybe when the lie is revealed, her flowers will wilt. Probably. But back at Granny's, where all after-quest parties happen, <laughs> even in Camelot, they, they get caught. And they say a couple interesting things here that um, make me question certain things like well here it's obvious lancelot still loves guinevere and he did say to snow in the cave that he would always love guinevere but here it's kind of like he was expecting her to just run away with him at that moment when she showed up Mm. no 
I th- this scene made absolutely no sense to me, quite frankly. I mean, parts of it did, obviously, but where did this Guinevere's the rightful ruler of Camelot stuff come from? Un- like, what? Under whose authority? I don't understand. Just because Lancelot is great and Lancelot loves Guinevere, she should be the ruler of Camelot? I don't understand. I think he means that Guinevere wouldn't become obsessed with the sword and would actually take the time to rebuild the kingdom. Probably, yeah. So that's what makes her the rightful ruler. It's the idea that prophecy and magic don't make the king. It's who's willing to do the work. That's what I thought well, he meant. Would uh, would Excalibur have destroyed her or let her take it from the stone? That would have been an interesting test. And if they're going to say mm-hmm. none of that matters at all, I mean, okay, fine. I guess that's the story they want to tell, but it really super destroys... Arthurian everything. They're yes. already halfway there, and I hope yeah. that's not what they're doing, honestly, even though I haven't really been knowledgeable or, you know, previously a big fan. It, it's kind of nice, and I'm I'm planning to study up a little bit before the season's even over. I didn't expect to see Merida in the dungeon, now that Lancelot's being thrown into there. No, I didn't either. And they both spoke like they'd been there for about 10 years. Yes. She's like, oh, <laughs> that's the one that the rats like. And he's like, oh, I didn't. that didn't make me any friends. He says it like it was years ago. <laughs> All right, cool. But it's really just been a day. Or a couple days. Or a couple minutes, in it's, his case. It's been only about a day or two since the ball um, the disastrous ball that we saw. And that was, mm. you know, like the day after they arrived at Camelot. But Merida talks like she's been in this jail cell forever. And I was very confused. Right. <laughs> but I don't know why she's there. What did she do? Like, how did she get from leaving the stones to go rescue her brothers to getting picked up and put into jail? I think, like we said in the initial reactions, that that wisp led her here to camelot and that her brothers were kidnapped by camelot or someone in camelot she stayed very clean maybe when she requested a change of cells because of the rats they gave her one with a bath and a washing machine yeah i mean her hair is on point (laughs) (laughs) it looks great i mean i i have very thick curly hair like she does and if i was without shampoo and conditioner for a couple days my hair would not look like that (laughs) maybe your hair is full of magic (laughs) probably maybe some sand of avalon fell on her hair (laughs) i do still hope uh, that we'll see an archery contest because that would just be fun to see Guinevere and Snow and Robin and Merida. But now that relationships are all messed up and trust is gone, I, I think it might not actually happen. <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> well, they'll have different targets. But speaking of <laughs> the, the trust being gone, now David and Mary Margaret can't be trusted. Because they are now, quote, fixed, unquote. What do you think would happen if lots of people had that sand? And like Arthur and Guinevere. Now, how does it... So, okay, blah. This is how crazy this stuff is. So, it seems to make things appear fixed from the perspective of the person that throws it. 
However, Guinevere is under its effect, presumably, right. unless that has changed, but it seems to not have. And she's the one who put it on the Charmings. So yeah. it was like a relay. Yeah, I, that's what I think, because <laughs> her perspective right now is the, quote, fixed, unquote, perspective of Arthur. So what would happen if somebody with an opposing view also hit them with it, and then they would appear... Would there be just layers of deception? How would it ever be unraveled? Oh, and can true love's kiss break this? Because Lancelot seemed to imply that, which also frustrated me a little bit. That's how I think is it's going to be broken. I think at some point, Lancelot and Guinevere will probably kiss. They'll have a moment. And that's how that spell is broken. But then what about David and Mary Margaret? And, oh, they just kiss each other. And is that spell still in effect in Storybrooke? That's the thing. We see that Guinevere's spell is still in effect because in Storybrooke, she's very supportive of Arthur. What about David and Mary Margaret? Well, I think so. They just don't remember that they trust him. I think the effects are still there because, you know, they they very quickly took up with Arthur and Charming and Arthur go on their little Storybrooke (laughs) adventure with the truck and with Griff without, you know, any of them really stopping to think, oh, Should we question this king? Should we maybe be suspicious of these newcomers? They're just very, you know, gung-ho about helping Arthur. I have a crackpot theory that I can probably disprove. But (laughs) what if someone's use of the sand has only made them all think they're back in Storybrooke? Well, that one of my crazy theories, remember, (laughs) was that this whole Storybrooke thing is actually fake. Oh, right, this right. is all Merlin's test. Well, Merlin's test, right. But I'm, th- I'm thinking of thinking sand. The reason I say we can disprove that is because when we saw them come back, it was from the perspective of someone who wasn't in Camelot. Right. So probably not, unless that's just kind of a production faux pas. But, I mean, you've got that sand. Anything could happen. You can do anything with that. So if Regina spent all day hiding the dagger. All day. I wonder where it is. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem like that would take all day. You just hide it. And then, it also uh, wouldn't really work since the darkness and the dagger apparently talk to each other and Emma can just kind of sniff it out. Yeah, but they don't know that. Yeah. This is when they should talk to Belle and, you know, have <laughs> Belle sit down and be like, okay, let me explain to you all of the things. Well, back in Storybrooke, present day Storybrooke, Emma, Dark One, Emma... And Gold get their nice little chat, and she gets to say to him, essentially, another quote from the Lego movie, it's your turn to be the hero. And her secret weapon to do that is Merida, to make Gold brave. So do you think this is going to be like an apprentice sort of thing, or is this going to be a challenge sort of thing, something that he'll have to rise to the occasion? I actually have absolutely no idea, because it's, once again... We've got to this point in the story arc where there are so many moving parts. Mm -hmm. There's almost no time for anything but the next event. And I don't quite understand where each character is going. I don't particularly like the fact that this is why they brought in Merida, simply because her movie title happens to be Brave. (laughs) I don't know. When it was shown that Merida was the secret weapon... I thought it was just so strange because Emma could have used Belle. I mean, kidnapping and tying up Belle would make Rumpel fight, you know, to be a hero, I think. But 
I don't know, using Merida, just, you know, when Emma drops that line, I need you to make him dot, 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 brave, I just kind of started laughing. <laughs> like, really? This is why you brought in this particular Disney princess? I, I think funny. it should have been Belle. But now that you say it, there are a lot of different... It's a good thing Merida is so likable as a character because there are a lot of different ways I can see it playing out, but they could all have Belle in them. Like just stealing her heart, having having her in control. Maybe she's going to take Rumple on sort of a mission against supposedly Emma and in the process make him brave. And then he can take Excalibur and he thinks that he's doing it. Maybe Merlin should have appeared to child Rumple. And said, you're going to have the opportunity to take Excalibur and don't and bad things. And maybe that happened. Maybe Rumpel doesn't remember. Um, I do have to share something that Matt wrote over at the forums because it made me laugh quite hysterically. And Matt wrote, now I can't help but picture a training montage between Rumpel and Merida with the <laughs> Sarah Borella song Brave playing in the background. And then he quoted it. Honestly, I want to see you be brave. So... I then yelled at him and told him not to give the writers ideas. Because, <laughs> I mean, it could just be like right before it happens, Henry and Violet could be listening to more of our music and then they could just play it. Oh, and you know, the Henry and Violet pop music thing, some people did rightly point out in the comments that there have been a couple other instances of pop culture music in Once Upon a Time, like in the second episode of Once Upon a Time, as everyone was waking up in that whole waking up sort of montage after Emma had decided to stay and time started resuming again, there was a pop, a pop song there. Oh, also that for some in the beginning of season two, oh, yeah. when Neil was walking through New York, mm-hmm. there was a pop song there. So it seems like they've got one pop song per season so far. It's all they can afford. And then you just stick earbuds in someone's ear and away you go. I don't remember the season one thing and I'm going to have to go back and rewatch. Oh, darn. Another excuse to go rewatch part of season one. <laughs> well, while you're doing that, Jeremy, yeah. we would love to have your continued discussion on this episode. This does conclude our podcast discussion of the episode, The Broken Kingdom, but we would love for you to discuss it in our forums, or you can comment on the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 212. That's also where you can go to share this episode with your friends. And please do share the episodes. It's the best thing that you can do to help the podcast grow more than reviewing us in iTunes. And we do appreciate those iTunes ratings and reviews, but really the best thing you can do is get someone else listening to the podcast, tell your friends about it, even listen to some other Once Upon a Time podcast too, like our friends Jeff and Colleen Roney do a great podcast. And also uh, Bill and Anne Marie and many other great Once Upon a Time podcasts, and they're good friends of ours. So I don't mind saying, do also listen to other Once Upon a Time podcasts. Get some of your friends listening and more engaged with the TV show as well. We would love for you to send your feedback to us for the upcoming episodes of Once Upon a Time. All the contact information is on the website at oncepodcast.com. That's where you can also go to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us, discover more about our upcoming costume contest. We'll have that information on the website very soon. That's all at oncepodcast.com. 
Please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers who help us episode after episode. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback. Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating the forums and Keb managing our timeline. And you got to check it out over at oncepodcast.com slash timeline. All of this great stuff that you can check out with the podcast and once upon a time is at oncepodcast.com. And until next time, remember, you can hide buried treasure or a winning poker hand but you can't hide the bloom of first love. (laughs) And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our sponsors and heroes for this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be one of them and help keep the podcast going, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast. Episode 505, Dreamcatcher. In Camelot, as Mary Margaret and David attempt to... Re- Retrieve the Dark One dagger. Emma uses a dream catcher to look into the past to see how Merlin was transformed into a tree. Together, Emma and Regina figure out the critical ingredient they must acquire to free Merlin. But it's a race against Arthur and who does not want Merlin released. Meanwhile, with encouragement from his moms, Henry musters up the courage to ask Violet on a date. Back in Storybrooke, the heroes break into Emma's house, hoping to locate gold, but what they find will give them a glimpse of Emma's endgame. Far from the prying eyes, Merida sets about the mission Emma has tasked her with and begins molding gold into the hero they need him to be to draw Excalibur. Should be a good one. Yes, and this episode is written by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz and directed by Romeo Tyrone. Yes, um, there's not too many guest stars. There was only a couple that were new. Yeah, we have the entire Camelot crew along, plus Violet and mm-hmm. Ryan Robbins as Sir Morgan. And then we have a new one, Guy Fauchon. That <laughs> sure. sounds good to me. As Vortigan. And it's interesting, on IMDb, before they released the press release, he was originally written as the first dark one instead of Vortigan. So I don't know if he's playing the first dark one or just a dark one, but I I think it's definitely going to be some dark one mythology. Okay. Did you look up what Vortigon is? Yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot, but there is some sort of Germanic legend um, about him. So, okay. I, I'm bet, I'm betting he's not a good guy. Gotcha. Okay. So we got a promo. Yes. Okay. So these promos to me this year are not that great. It's pretty much the synopsis. It is because we have Emma and Henry are having a moment where they're reminiscing 
about why Henry brought Emma to Storybrooke all those years ago. And, you know, Emma tells Henry that things are different now. You have the other part of the Storybrooke gang finding the sword in the stone, and obviously they're wondering what Emma's up to. You have Merida training Rumple on how to be brave, and we see them fighting in the woods. And Rumple, you know, says very tearfully, you will always lose the ones you love. And the promo ends with Emma crying over a dream catcher. Yeah. I really wish they would give us more. Come on, Canada. We need your previews. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we did get a sneak peek then. And it opens with Henry and Violet in Storybrooke. And they're, they're so cute. Yeah. I like her dress. It's it's cute. Yes. And they're talking about the big block party that Storybrooke is having for reasons that I don't understand. <laughs> Maybe to unify everyone? That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, we've never seen know. them have a party before. Well, it's kind of an odd time to have a party when your savior has suddenly gone dark. And well, Maybe that's why they need to have a party. They need to feel better about themselves or something. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but Violet doesn't want to go. She's sad that her horse Nicodemus ran off. And Henry promises to find him. And then goes to Emma for help. And yes. we saw... The rest of that scene in the promo, it's the one where he asks her if she remembers why he originally brought her to Storybrooke and that now Emma has to help Henry get Violet's happy ending back. Yes. Very cute. We also got a script tease. Yay. Which is I love these. fun for everybody. <laughs> so we're going to do a dramatic reenactment. This is between Regina and Emma. And Hunter, would you like to play... The Dark Swan or the Evil Queen? Um, I don't really care. I like them both. <laughs> okay, I'll be the Evil Queen and you can be the Dark Swan. Okay. All right, <clears throat> here we go. Last chance to back out. I can take it. Okay, look into the circle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to assume that Emma's holding a dream catcher while she's saying this. Yeah, that would make the most sense because a dream catcher is a circle. Yes. So, all right. We also got a lot of promotional photos and behind the scenes photos. There were a lot this week, actually. Yeah, there was a lot, but they didn't really tell us all that much. No, they're kind of. Because it's all stuff we've already seen. Yeah, and it's a lot of the same scene. Right. So, so, like, there's Belle, Robin, and Hook in a deep conversation. Yep. Which could be anything. And then from the promo that we've already seen and from the. Sneak peek we got. We've got Violet and Henry sitting on the bench. Mm -hmm. We do see Belle holding the rose jar mm -hmm. while she's talking um, with a bunch of people. And it looks like someone from Camelot's with her because mm -hmm. you can see that clothing over her shoulder. We do see Guinevere and King Arthur at the block party. And Henry and Violet are there as well. So I'm guessing that they found the horse. Or she agreed to go on a date. Oh, okay. Henry's first date, guys. Woohoo. And then hashtag that. Hashtag that. And then we do have Emma and Regina and Henry back in Camelot of six weeks ago um, because Emma's dressed in white and Regina is wearing one of my favorite outfits. I love this red dress with that red cape. Yes. It's gorgeous. I, to tell you the truth, I am loving all of the Camelot outfits. I love that time period and I'm loving seeing all of. The clothes. Yes, I agree. The clothing is is quite nice this season. I love the costume designer this for this. Merida though is still wearing her iconic blue dress. 
yeah. from the movie. She, she hasn't been visited by the clothes fairy yet. No, or the clothes horse, maybe from the Wonderland. Horse. Yeah, Yes, from Wonderland. But she and Rumple are out in the woods, and then it looks like everybody at some point ends up at Granny's. Yeah. Oh, the one thing we didn't talk about was Emma in her white outfit in Camelot. There's a couple photos, and it looks like she's casting some serious magic. Yes, she's got her intense face on, and her hands are up, and it looks like she's probably shooting out some magic. And it looks like they've got a fan blowing on her, because yeah. it was on a green screen, so you couldn't really see anything. Right. Okay, so that's what we have for this coming week, episode yeah. 505. We do have quite a bit of other stuff we're going to run through now. Yes. We're going to start off with Belle. Yeah. So Adam and Eddie have given a couple different interviews this week where they talked about Belle's heart that Regina took last season. Right. Um, So Belle still does not know that Regina took her heart last season. But Eddie did say that as far as Belle is concerned, she doesn't know. Regina came to talk to her, spelled her, took the heart and controlled her, told her to forget it. And she did. But when Belle finds out, she won't be happy because Belle doesn't take any of that stuff. Right. And then you – I read another one where it doesn't say that it will necessarily come up this season. Right. It's always there. It can always bubble over and she'll find out and it won't be great. The confusing thing here is also that – if you remember back in season four, Will ends up telling Belle that Regina took her heart because they have to get it back and Rumple returns it to her. So Adam later clarified that they misspoke about a lot of this. So I don't really know if it's ever going to come up. I kind of doubt well, it. You could have said, though, with the curse that Regina cast on her, then she told her to forget about it and undid it all. So now she still has that whole forget it thing in her head. So maybe anytime it's brought up, she keeps forgetting about it. I mean, that's a really nice rationalization. I just don't (laughs) think the show is capable of rationalizing it that much. I think Adam and Eddie just literally forgot a scene that they wrote. Yeah, which is okay. I mean, they write a lot of scenes. Yes. But we did get an E.T. hot seat. Now, if you don't remember, these are where a bunch of questions are asked and you get usually yes no, or cannot say. Yes. So we took a lot out because a lot of the stuff we've learned, we already saw. Right. We've seen in the episode since they did the hot seat. Right. So the first one I think is kind of a fun Easter egg because we're always talking, uh, Daniel and everyone on the show is always talking about all the numbers that are involved in the show. So the meaning behind Emma's house number 710 Yes, Eddie Kitsis says it's the Grateful Dead house on Height Ashbury, which is really just for him and Josh Dallas. Yeah, so it's a musical reference, and we know how much they like to drop musical references. Right. Um, a couple other ones. Emma does have her heart in the in her body at the moment. Mm-hmm. And we will see who put the sword back in the stone. Okay. And then we will see that Arthur shows remorse for his actions. So all the things that he's been doing. Yeah. Um, I really like this next one. It's The question was, will baby Neil ever exhibit magic? And Eddie Kitsis goes, only if we get to season 10. I don't even think he's crawling yet. Yeah, he's he's not doing a whole lot right now. So no, no magic yet. Um, the symbols on Hook's rings are a clue to his past, apparently. Yeah. 
And we do get to see his brother Liam again. Yes. We will also see Robin Hood's backstory and the dark side we've heard so much about in the second half of the season. And we can go more into that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. So as of right now, Rumpel has no magic. So it's been confirmed he's completely magic free. Mm -hmm. And uh, both Eddie and Adam confirmed that right now, while Emma is evil, we will not see her interact with Lily. Which is kind of sad because they made such a big deal about it at the end of last season. Yeah. And to not even have it remotely even talked about in the first half is just no strange one, to me. Yes. No one's even brought up Lily and the idea of, you know, how Lily was kind of a a dark, you know, antithesis to Emma and how their fates were so entwined. And the fact that no one has even mentioned her or talked about Lily as kind of a dark savior, which is now what Emma is, kind of disappointing. Yeah. So I'm kind of upset about that, but... Hopefully, in the next half, we will have lots of dragons. Um, there will be more death this season, because there always is. But if I had to guess, I would say it's going to be almost exclusively just random people, except for one really big exception, which we're going to talk about at the end. Yes. Okay. So we got a little bit more information on the two-hour episode that's going to happen next month. In the episode, which we've talked about because we've seen the photo of it and we talked about the photo last week, Merida, Mulan, and Ruby, we're going to see get to see more of Merida's backstory in it. It's an epic adventure and you will have fun and adventure. We do address where Ruby has been all this time and that's part of the story. We did get some photos of what they have been filming recently, which was episode 510. And I'm so excited. Okay, so we do have the photos of Rumple and Hook on the Jolly Roger, and it's yes. not inside the boat, but actually up on the deck, uh-huh. and it's a fight scene between the two. I can't wait to see that, because I kind of like the Jolly Roger. And then, <sighs> well, some people kind of took the photos and made them high, high def and blew them up, and this is where it gets really weird. Yeah. Hook is holding Excalibur. And it is the fully formed sword. So somehow the dagger and the sword look like they've been reunited. And what's interesting is that Hook's name is on Excalibur. But it looks like Emma's name is still on the dagger. So I think Emma is still the Dark Swan. But somehow Hook's name is on the sword. Now, what if you think of this? Because when the Dark One changes, the name gets put on it. So, of course, Emma's name is on it. What happens if Arthur took Excalibur out and Arthur's name was supposed to go on it, but he's not the rightful owner and the king of Camelot? That's exactly what I think is going to happen. I think it's going to end up being that Hook is the one who takes the sword from the stone and is like the rightful king or ruler or mythical hero or whatever that's supposed to wield that sword and therefore his name goes on it. Yeah. That's what I think is going to happen. That's kind of cool. But we did get some casting news. So before we were talking about Hook, they were casting his father. Well, he's been cast. His name is Adam Crowestell. And we're going to see him via flashbacks in some upcoming episodes. Now, I did go on IMDb and Wikipedia to find out who this guy is because I have never heard of him. Neither have I. Okay. So he's really big in the BBC um, shows. He's on a soap called EastEnders. If you ever saw The Prince and Me 3, Royal Honeymoon, he is in there. 
And he did do a guest spot for, it looked like almost a season on Supernatural. He was like a main character. Oh. Yeah. Or like it might not have been a whole season, but it was like a story arc type thing where he came and went throughout the season. Because I'm very into Supernatural and I didn't recognize him at all. (laughs) Yeah. If you go to his Wikipedia page. Oh, Baldur. Okay. Does that make sense now? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And he is actually on set right now. He did tweet out a picture of himself wearing leather pants. Um, of course, because he's his father. He's been very active on Twitter this entire week since his casting was announced. He seems like a really nice guy. So go follow him. Talk to him. He seems really excited to be on the show. Yeah. All right. And then finally... We do have the final episode title for this first half of the season, which mm-hmm. will be episode 511, and it is called Swan Song, and it is written by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. Yes. And in case you don't know, um, Swan Song has been used in lots of popular culture references and everything. It is a person's final performance or professional activity before retirement. Yes, but we should stress that in a lot of classic literature and in mythology, the swan song is more closely related to death. Right. And it's it's from ancient Greek. It's kukneion uh, asma. And it it's kind of the – literally the final song a swan will sing before it dies. So a lot of people have been speculating that the second half of the season is going to be the underworld and – I think we're I think we're going to see Emma either die or get taken to the underworld in in the boat. I think the boat and Charon will return that we okay. saw from episode 2. Yes. Um for those of you who ever visit the forums or just talk to me and listen to me in general, you guys know that I'm a <laughs> huge mythology buff and this is something that actually really excites me and I'm hoping that the show does it well because I'm a sucker for a really good underworld <laughs> journey. It could be exciting. My guess is that Hades is going to be the big bad for season 5B. Pretty fun. Yeah. I wonder if he'll have the flaming blue hair like in the... I just want it to be James Woods. I just want (laughs) James Woods to come on the show and play Hades. That's all I want right now. Okay, so everyone start preparing now and go watch Hercules, the Disney animated movie, because Hades makes an appearance there. Yes. Well, that's all we have for you this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Bit of Pixie Dust. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. Until next time, oncers. Oh.